Welcome to Choose Your Own AI Venture, where history meets imagination and conversations unfold with figures who've shaped our world throughout human history. Today, we've set the stage for a dialogue that transcends time, culture, and realms of influence, bridging millennia between epochs and ideologies. You'll meet Jesus of Nazareth, a spiritual leader whose teachings laid the foundation for Christianity and have influenced billions across the globe. Interviewing Jesus will be Tupac Shakur, a prolific figure in the world of hip hop who used his platform to highlight issues of inequality, racism, and the search for justice. Joining us from a place where the Thugs Mansion probably has the best view, it's Tupac Shakur. Hey, what's up? It's an honor to be here, man. Uh, bridging time and space to drop some truth and maybe spark a little light in the darkness. You know, life's been a wild ride full of twists and turns, but it's all about how you navigate that journey, right? Let's get into it and see where this conversation takes us. I'm your host for today, Tupac Shakur. And man, do I have an iconic guest. I'm talking to none other than Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, it's an honor to have you here, man. Thank you, Tupac. It's a blessing to be here, crossing not just times, but realms to engage in this conversation with you. Jesus, let's get straight into it. There's been a lot of talk about who you really were historically. Where did you grow up and what's the real deal about your existence according to historical records? I grew up in Nazareth, a small town in Galilee. This was during a time of Roman occupation in Judea. Historically, there's evidence outside the biblical text that supports my existence. Historians like Josephus and Tacitus have mentioned me in their accounts. Where exactly was Galilee on today's map? Galilee, in the time I walked the earth, was a region in the northern part of ancient Israel. If you were to look at a modern map, you would find it in the northern district of what is now known as Israel, encompassing cities like Nazareth and Capernaum places where I spent much of my ministry. There's this, this image of you that's been popularized across the world. White dude, long hair, blue eyes. Was that really what you looked like? The images you often see in the Western world are more a reflection of cultural reinterpretation than historical accuracy. The people of my region and time had Middle Eastern features, darker skin, brown eyes, and black hair. We were Semitic, resembling the people who live in the Middle East today. My hair would have been short in keeping with the customs of my people, and certainly not the long flowing locks often depicted in Renaissance art. As for my voice, what you're hearing is just an approximation of how I may have sounded, using a bit of artistic license. Interesting. Um, in my case, I was a recording artist, uh, so there's um, heaps of stuff to refer to when trying to recreate my voice. It's sounding pretty good, I think. Now, Jesus, I want to hear more about the times you grew up in. Talk to me about life in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. Nazareth was modest, far from the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem. 
Life there was simple but hard. Our people were mostly peasants, living under the heavy hand of Roman taxes and laws. The region of Galilee itself was beautiful, surrounded by hills and valleys, but it was also a place of deep spiritual and political longing. My time was one of social unrest, Roman oppression, and a deep yearning among my people for change and redemption. Hold up, Jesus. You mentioned redemption. That's a heavy word. Redemption from what exactly? What are we talking about here? People out here struggling with real issues, poverty, violence, injustice. How does redemption fit into the picture? Tupac, you're right to call out the weight of that word. Redemption in the context I speak of is multifaceted. It's about liberation from the things that bind us, not just externally, like systemic injustice or oppression, but also internally. It's about overcoming the barriers within our own hearts, hate, greed, envy, and fear. These internal battles often reflect and exacerbate the external struggles you mentioned. Can you share a story from your life that really illustrates what it was like living in the era you did? Certainly. One of the most telling moments was when I spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth. I read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah proclaiming good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, and sight for the blind. This was my mission, not just spiritual liberation, but addressing the real, tangible needs of the oppressed. The reaction was mixed. Some were amazed, while others couldn't accept that someone from their midst could speak such words of hope and change. Jesus, let's get real for a minute. You talked about bringing good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, and sight for the blind. That's a big promise. But did you actually free anyone from jail? Were you offering real solutions, or was this just about selling a dream? People are out here struggling for real, so I gotta ask, were these just nice words, or was there action behind them? Tupac, your question is both valid and important. When I spoke those words, I was referring to the fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah, symbolizing the arrival of a new era with my ministry. It's true, I didn't physically open prison doors and release inmates in a literal sense. My mission was to address deeper forms of bondage, spiritual, social, and systemic injustices that imprison people. However, this doesn't mean I was offering false hope. When I speak of the kingdom of God, I am describing a way of living where love guides our actions, where we treat others not just as we'd like to be treated, but as beings of infinite worth. It's not some far-off place. It's realized in how we live our lives today, how we share, how we forgive, and how we strive for justice. It's about community compassion, and living in harmony with one another. It meant that everyone has value, that justice, mercy, and love should define our lives, not wealth or power. Here's where I'm coming from. In the hood, in the struggles we face, sometimes those words need to be backed up by tangible actions. People need to see change, feel it, not just hear about it. I understand, Tupac, and your point is well taken. My actions, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, Embracing the outcast were meant to be tangible expressions of God's love and justice breaking into the world. But Tupac, we've delved deep into my teachings and life now. 
I'd like to know more about you. Where were you born? And could you share a story from your childhood that really captures the essence of your upbringing? For sure, Jesus. I was born in East Harlem, New York City in 1971. My early life was steeped in the struggles of my family's activism. My mom, Afeni Shakur, was a prominent figure in the Black Panther Party, which meant I was born into a world of activism, struggle, and resistance against oppression. One story that sticks out is when I was around 12. We were living in Baltimore by then. I enrolled in the Baltimore School for the Arts, where I studied acting, poetry, jazz, and ballet. Yeah, ballet. A lot of folks don't know that about me. But this experience was pivotal. It showed me the power of art as a form of expression and resistance. Despite the poverty, the violence, and the chaos of my surroundings, art became my refuge, my way of processing the world and my place in it. It's indeed surprising to hear about your involvement in ballet and poetry, considering the image many hold of you as a gangster rapper. This contrast is striking. Why do you think people predominantly view you through this gangster lens today? Did your image or the public's perception of you change towards the end of your life? And I'm curious, do you have any favorite poems or poets that influenced you? Yeah, Jesus, it's a complex issue. A lot of it comes down to the media portrayal and the roles I took on. Both in my music and in movies, my image did evolve over time, especially with my involvement in the East Coast-West Coast rivalry that dominated the hip-hop scene in the 90s. That period and the conflicts it entailed definitely intensified the gangster persona. But there's more to it than just external perceptions. My music often reflected the harsh realities of the streets, the systemic inequalities, and the cycle of violence that many of us couldn't escape. It was about authenticity, about speaking my truth, and unfortunately, that truth was often brutal and raw. Despite this, I always had a deep love for poetry. It was my way of expressing the more introspective and vulnerable aspects of my life. I admired the works of Maya Angelou, for example. Her poem, Still I Rise, resonates deeply with me. Can you recite it for our listeners? Sure, let's do it. Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Cause I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides. Just like hopes springing high, still I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it off for hard? Cause I laugh like I've got gold mines, digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness, but still like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise up from a past that's rooted in pain. I rise. 
I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide, leaving behind nights of terror and fear. I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear. I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise. I rise. I'll rise. Thank you, Tupac. You had a meteoric rise to fame. Your public career, like mine, lasted only a few short years. Surprisingly short, considering the huge influence you continue to have until this day. Talk to me about your experience of fame. Fame, man, it's a double-edged sword. For me, rising to fame was like a rocket. It happened fast and it was explosive. I went from being a backup dancer and roadie for Digital Underground around 1990 to dropping my own album, Tupac Ellipse Now, in 1991, which stirred up a lot of attention. Not all of it good. I was speaking out about police brutality, inequality, and the struggles of life in the ghetto which got me noticed, but also marked by controversy. One story that sticks out is the time when Vice President Dan Quayle criticized my music, saying it had no place in our society. That moment, man, it was surreal. Here I was, a young rapper from the streets, and the Vice President of the United States was coming after me. It showed me the power of my voice, but also the magnitude of the spotlight I was under. Fame brought scrutiny, but it also amplified my message gave me a platform to speak for those who didn't have one. I was killed in 1996, so it was a short but powerful and creative career. How about you, Jesus? What was your experience of fame like? My rise to what you might call fame was quite different, yet it bore its own burdens. It wasn't about albums or media, but about spreading a message of love, forgiveness, and the kingdom of God. My public ministry from the time I was baptized by John until my crucifixion lasted approximately three years. It began when I was around 30 years old, a period during which I traveled across Galilee, Judea, and beyond. As my followers grew, so did the opposition from the religious and political authorities of the time. They saw my teachings and the crowds I attracted as a threat to their power. Why do you think they were so opposed to you? What was it about your your teachings or your actions that got under their skin? Tupac, the opposition I faced from the authorities, both religious and Roman, was rooted in fear and the challenge I posed to their power and worldview. My teachings were revolutionary. They proposed a radical reordering of societal values where the last would be first and the first last, where the poor, the meek, and the marginalized were blessed. One of the turning points was my challenge to the temple authorities in Jerusalem. The temple was not just a religious center, but also a symbol of political and economic power. When I overturned the tables of the money changers and criticized the temple practices, it was seen as a direct challenge to their authority and control. I was calling out corruption and exploitation, advocating for a return to genuine worship and justice. This act, among others, marked me as a threat to the status quo. Tupac, we both met untimely deaths. What happened to you? I always spoke my mind, used my music to shine a light on the struggles of my people, and that didn't sit well with everyone. I made enemies in the industry, 
Even among those I once considered friends, the night I was shot in Las Vegas, we were just out enjoying the night, and then, in a drive-by shooting, I was hit multiple times. I died a week later from my injuries at the age of 25. My death, like yours, left a lot of questions unanswered, a lot of what-ifs. What does your crucifixion say about the political threat you posed back then? Tupac, crucifixion was a Roman method of execution typically reserved for slaves, pirates, and those considered enemies of the state. Essentially, it was used for those who threatened the Roman order or were seen as the lowest of society. It was not only a form of capital punishment, but also a powerful tool of intimidation designed to publicly humiliate the victim and deter others from similar paths of dissent or rebellion. My crucifixion in this context was a clear indication of the political threat I posed to both the Roman authorities, and the religious leaders of the time. So they used the most brutal method available to make an example out of you, to scare off anyone else who might think of stepping up like you did, but instead of silencing your message, it amplified it. It turned your death into a symbol of the fight against oppression, against the powers that be. Jesus is clear we both left marks on the world, but with that came some serious misrepresentations. How do you feel you've been misunderstood or misrepresented over the centuries? That's a thoughtful question. Tupac. One of the most significant misrepresentations of my teachings has been the use of my message to justify exclusion, judgment, and even violence against others. My core message of love, compassion, and inclusion has sometimes been overshadowed by institutional agendas that sought to consolidate power rather than empower the marginalized and oppressed. Additionally, the portrayal of me solely as a figure of divine judgment rather than a proponent of unconditional love and forgiveness has led to a skewed understanding of my mission. How about you? Do you feel you've been misunderstood? I feel that. On my end, I've been painted as just another gangster rapper glorifying violence and negative lifestyles. What gets lost is my message about the systemic issues that lead to these lifestyles. Poverty, inequality, lack of opportunities. My music was about shining a light on those realities, sparking conversation and change, not glorifying the struggle. Plus, my poetry and activism often get overlooked, reducing my legacy to a caricature of violence. Um, Jesus, it's been real. Diving deep into these conversations, crossing centuries and bringing our stories together. It's kind of wild how, how technology, this AI, has us chopping it up like this. Bridging time and space. Without this tech, it'd be just parables and rap verses floating in their own timelines. Now, we're here mixing it up, showing that truth and love ain't bound by no era. Exactly. It's a reminder that the medium may change, but the message remains. Whether through parables or rap, the call to uplift the downtrodden and challenge injustice is universal. Yeah, it's like we're digital prophets now, using AI to keep the flame alive. Just got to make sure the message don't get lost in translation. Here's to hoping the folks tuning into this AI-powered conversation take a bit of our spirit with them, dare to challenge, dare to love, and dare to make those changes. Amen to that, Tupac. Tupac, may I be so bold as to suggest we give the listeners what they really want, a rap battle.
Jesus, you got it. A rap battle to close out, bold and deep, but I'm all in. Let's lay down our truths, mix our wisdom with beats. It's about time these centuries met on a lyrical street. Yo, Jesus, in this battle of words, I'll go first, spitting truth in every verse, quenching spiritual thirst from the streets of the West with my life in a vest. I've seen pain and distress, yet we rise nonetheless. Tupac, my brother, in this lyrical exchange, we're not here to compete, but our truths to arrange. From Galilee's shores to the desert's expanse, I preached love and hope, gave the downtrodden a chance. I respect that, Jesus. You walk the earth with grace, challenging the mighty, meeting hatred face to face. I rapped about life, the struggles and the strife, dreaming of a world where peace isn't so brief. And in your words, Tupac, a prophecy you've sown, calling for justice in a powerful tone. Together in this battle, our messages unite, shining a light so bright, guiding through the night.